Well, if you are new here tonight, um, hopefully you got a Bible to start off, and just in case I haven't met you, uh, my name is Melissa, and I'm one of, privileged to be one of the campus ministers here at Central. Best job ever. And so, uh, last week, well, you guys probably know this quarter we've been doing a, a mini-series on relationships, and we have one more message left after tonight, so look forward to that. Um, and last week, I told you guys it was pretty much part one of a two-part message. It's pretty much one really long message that I was giving about dating. So last week, we started our way towards figuring out what is the type of relationship that God desires? What kind of love is the love he's designed in his kingdom? What's his blueprint? Um, so we looked at God's blueprint for love, which is, is epitomized in places like Philippians chapter 2 and John chapter 13, and really Jesus' entire life and ministry where he chose to do act after act, different things where he chose to, to lay himself down and humble himself in order to serve us, his beloved. Isn't he an amazing God? We learn that in God's kingdom, love is servant love. It's, it's servant-hearted. It's self-giving. It's always others promoting. It's, it's always motivated to show Jesus in a powerful and a countercultural way to those that we serve and love. And we learned last week that in order to get to that end point of perfecting that kind of love through a godly marriage— we're going to have to backward engineer our way to the starting point. How on earth do we approach dating if this is where we're trying to get to in the end? We learn that we can't start with the default starting point that the world would offer us for, all right, who should I date? How should I date? You seem free, whatever. Um, if we do it the world's way, we're not going to end up at the end point that God's designed. We'll end up somewhere, but it's not going to be the type of love that God has designed for us to experience. It's not his ideal. We're going to end up with a copy of a key that doesn't open the original door anymore, is an analogy I used last week. So rather, we need to start at the end and backward engineer our path to get there, being guided by wisdom through scripture um, to figure out how to have a godly dating relationship in an ungodly world. So tonight, let's dive into the specifics I promised you of how to get really specific understanding how to date. So we're going to look at three main things tonight. I call them why to date how to date, and who to date. Um, But why to date, then who to date, then how to date is going to be our order. So if you're ready, let's just dive in. So number one, why date? So marriage is the ultimate earthly context that God's designed for us humans to enter into, that we could spend a lifetime learning and perfecting the servant love that he designed. In order to experience that and get better at it for a whole life, Marriage is, is the venue he's created. It's like Michael often calls it a love lab. We're, we're there to experience and get and practice and, and learn how to practice that love in a safe place where you're free to fail because the person, you're, you're committed to them and you're going to get better for a whole lifetime. That's the venue God's designed for us. It's the human relationship that can most closely express and experience the, the love that the Trinity experiences. So how do we get there to that kind of love? Well, in our culture, we tend to date somebody and then decide to marry them and then get engaged and then we get to that marriage and we spend a lifetime chasing after that kind of love. So why date? I would say, given what I just told you, you should date someone in order to decide if you should marry that person. That's just really practical. You should date somebody to figure out if you should marry them. I'm honestly not convinced if there are any other good reasons for dating. Stuff like just to try it out, or because I like that person, even if I wouldn't necessarily marry them, 
or because I want a person to make me feel good about myself, or because I want somebody to make out with or sin sexually with, or because the circumstances just arranged all perfectly like a movie, and I have these fuzzy, fuzzy feelings. Honestly, I don't think any of those reasons are solid enough to enter into the risk of dating for. Because people date for those reasons all the time on our campus. Like, people do it for sure. But I'm, I'm pretty sure those are all going to end you up in hurt and regret and pain. And it's definitely not going to get you to the end goal that God has called us to. At the very best, I think those foundations for a dating relationship um, will become distracting in your life. And at the worst, that relationship will become destructive. So therefore, I think the only wise reason to date is to find out if you should marry the person you're dating. Again, maybe I'm just super practical, logical person, but that just makes sense to me if that's the end goal. So if this is the point, this would imply a lot of things about who we date and how we date. Am I right? You guys are college students. You're probably figuring that out in your noggins. So I think we should enter into dating with this sort of approach. I have watched this person's character over a while, first for a while, and I'm convinced they may be the type of person I should marry. So now we're moving into number two of who to date. But for some first things, the passage that we looked at and studied at length last week, Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 18, where we see an example of Jesus living out, modeling God's love to us, um, and Pastor Paul's applying that to the church he was writing to. Uh, The first five verses, um, which will be summarized on the screen behind me, they describe something important that we didn't touch on last week, but I want to touch on it briefly tonight. So these first four or five verses, they aren't just an introduction to set up the example of Jesus that we look to, though they do function that way. These verses also show something important. They show us that the source, with like a capital S, the source of how we are fueled, fueled in our relationships and godly ones, that source is our relationship with Jesus. If we're like laptops and we're trying to do a function, at least for more than a few hours, as all of us know when laptops die on us, we need to have a charger. If we're laptops trying to do this function, we are enabled and empowered to do that function by the power source, by being plugged into the power cord of Jesus in a regular life-giving way. So this is important to consider at the outset as we approach relationships. Because the first four verses of Philippians 2, they describe ingredients that are all tossed one by one into the mixing bowl. And this is where how we do relationships, uh, that is baked out of sort of thing. If I could do that, ingredients. So what are the ingredients that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 5? He says things like, being united with Jesus, that gives us some real encouragement. Jesus' real love for us, that gives us comfort. That we share in the Holy Spirit. I think by this he means that each of us individually share in the Spirit. We are privileged to abide and to participate with the Holy Spirit of God. And also communally as God's people, we together share in the same Spirit. So the fact that we share in the Holy Spirit, and he also mentions having tenderness and compassion, those are all the ingredients that are dumped into the mixing bowl. And they come from the source of our relationship with God. And then they're all mixed up and they turn us into people who are like-minded, who have the same love, who are one in spirit and in purpose, who do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, all those things we talked about last week. 
And from that, from those ingredients that go into it, that's how our posture of relationships um, become created as we humbly model Jesus who gave his life for us. So I want to mention that tonight because as we find ourselves right now at the starting line of figuring out godly dating and relationships, I just want to ask, is this sort of juice in your gas tank? Are you somebody who's ready to embark on the race? Do you have these ingredients being poured into your life in a daily, regular basis? One thing to, to consider is if you're still um, really new at your faith, you're still forming and strengthening your relationship with Jesus, it could be a wise thing to, to focus on strengthening those ingredients for a little bit so that you're readier to wisely approach dating. I'm not saying that has to happen, but it just could be something wise to consider. Get good at all those input, all those ingredients going into you. Focus on that. Um, And the more you do that, the better foundation you're going to have for when you approach a godly relationship. But all of us, really, we should all remember that being a good girlfriend or a good boyfriend or a good husband or a good wife, whether that's now or someday, that doesn't have to happen, that doesn't have to do with being super perfect on Valentine's Day or any of those little things that our culture fixates on. It has way more to do with all of us daily abiding in Jesus daily living like Jesus, expressing the image of God through our character to the person that we're in relationship with. So as we move into talking about who we should date, I want us to remember this foundation, that the source of how we date well comes from our relationship with God. And all of us would do well, whether we're single or in a relationship, to continue focusing on that first and foremost. So as we move into considering some specifics for, all right, I'm I'm ready for some specifics, lady. Who should I date? There's a couple principles that are general principles that apply to all Christ followers. And I'm sure there's a lot we could cover, but I just want to focus on two tonight. And here's the first one. Date somebody who is already following Jesus like you are. Find someone who's already running the race in a way that's admirable and that encourages you. They should encourage you as a brother in Christ before they encourage you as their boyfriend before you consider them as a boyfriend. They should already be living in vital community with King Jesus, being regularly plugged into the power cord of Jesus, um, experiencing that united with Christ, comforted by his love, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, all those realities. Because if you want to get to the, the end result of a worldly relationship, fine, this doesn't matter. Date whoever you want. Follow the movies. Anything works, apparently, in our world. But if you want to get to the end result of a godly relationship, the type that the Bible describes and and calls us to, then you absolutely shouldn't date anybody who's not following Jesus like you are already. Um, Just to make it extra clear for us, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, he says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? So Michael's covered this earlier in in our relationship series. He mentions we can and should have great relationships with people who don't love Jesus. We should serve them, we should care for them, we should love them in many specific ways. But you shouldn't marry or date anybody who's fighting for a different king than you're fighting for. How can you live a united life if you're both living in separate kingdoms that are opposed to one another? Um, How can you go in the same direction like two ox under a yoke if you're going different directions? All you're going to do is pivot and swivel um, and not get anything done. 
So this is just really pure wisdom from the Lord. Don't be unequally yoked, but be equally yoked, and you can get a lot done. Second general principle for all of us to consider um, on how to think about somebody to date if we're following Jesus, date somebody whose life is filled with the fruits of the Spirit. How to build a Philippians 2 type of marriage. Start by figuring out what Philippians 2 bound person you would need to date. Start with the right type of person to end up in that relationship with. So are they a person whose character is becoming more and more like Jesus' character? Someone whose character is becoming more like Jesus's, their life's going to start having the fruits of the Spirit popping out left and right. Galatians 5, to 25 is where Pastor Paul describes um, these different fruits of the Spirit for us. And he says, in contrast to what the fruits of the flesh look like, the fruits of like when we didn't used to follow Jesus, he now says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, we put to death, the flesh, the old self, with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. These are a lot of incredible character qualities that I know a lot of core groups have spent entire quarters going through every single one. I just want to focus on two really briefly tonight that I think are specifically plaguing our generation. So if I can sound old for a moment. Two things that I think are plaguing your generation and mine um, are faithfulness and self-control. Talk about these two. In terms of faithfulness, I notice that a lot of people nowadays are unwilling to make commitments, maybe period, (laughs) especially people are unwilling to make commitments that would require you to keep it at some future date if you don't know what you're going to be feeling at that moment. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of an epidemic in our culture nowadays. A lot of people avoid making commitments or they'll back out of them if the circumstances or what they feel like doing at that last minute are different. We live by our circumstances, not by our commitments. And while this is just like an interesting thing, and I'm sure psychologists and sociologists have written a bazillion things about it, it, it makes me a little bit terrified um, because I know what it takes to live out marriage, at least for four and a half years. Um, I know what it takes to start raising a family. It makes me nervous to think about what marriages and families are going to be like for people nowadays. Because honestly, don't you want to make a covenant with somebody that you trust is going to keep it? A marriage and a family, which comes off of the marriage first, those things are founded on a promise. And that promise is is nourished by commitment every single day, no matter what you feel like. So I would just encourage us to know, you know, kind of where our culture's at currently, and to call us to be people who have self-control, to say, I'm going to keep the promise that I made. I messed up and procrastinated on my homework, but I'm going to keep my promise and go to core, and I'm just going to stay up and do my homework after. Be somebody who makes and keeps promises. Be somebody who's training for marriage. If the person you're considering dating doesn't make or keep their commitments, you should run. Because honestly, they're not ready yet to build the type of relationship, the type of love that can control oneself and be mature enough to serve another person in a committed way. Think about the type of father you want your kids to have. Think about the type of mom you want your kids to be able to depend on 
when they're sick at an inconvenient time, inconvenient time in the night. There's a lot of inconvenientness in marriage and in being parents, I'm sure. So date somebody who's already modeling that they have the character to be a person of commitment. And honestly, one of the best things you can do right now, we're in a really cool community. You can just see how people live already. How do they relate to their core? How do they show up for one-on-ones? You know, we see each other having one-on-ones every single day. Like, we can see how people model commitment to the guys and, and girls and family in their life before we think, are they ready to date? I got to see how Tony related to his core guys before I thought about dating him. I saw him interact with his mom and the respect he showed before I thought, is he somebody I could date? You know what I'm saying? We can observe those things in, our li- in each other's lives. So thinking about the fruits of the Spirit, I just want to encourage us all to become studs in these areas. We can shine like lights illuminating the darkness. Look for opportunities to get your character jacked in this. Here's one good way. Okay, this is just one idea that came to mind a lot. I don't know if you guys know this, but we have a small team of people who set up before Chi Alpha every week. It takes an hour. We have another group that cleans up and, and packs away all of our worship equipment every Tuesday night for an hour. I don't know, when I think about Fruits of the Spirit, I don't know why teams like this aren't bursting at the seams with peeps who are wanting to be trained for marriage, being like, put me in, coach. Like, let me learn how to serve. Let me learn how to jettison my, my like, desire to say, it's really cold today. I have homework today. I'm too busy today. Not convenient. Instead, to spend an hour serving Chi Alpha every Tuesday. I would love to see an army of marriageable dudes and babes on training teams like this. Just saying. Because you get to practice everything I'm talking about. You get to practice being committed. You get to practice goodness. You get to practice faithfulness. You get to practice self-control, even when it's not convenient. You get to even build up arm muscles as you carry the worship equipment into the cirque. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying as I'm writing the message, I think opportunities like this are incredible training ground for becoming marriageable and dateable men and women. So join the Studs for Jesus team. Talk to Nate if you want to. And also live out commitment to your core groups and, and everything else. But I just think when I see people like that who serve behind the scenes, that's where I want so many people training in an unglorified way, but they're gaining the character that's going to make them studs for Jesus in future marriages. So just telling you. All right. Third thing I think we should do is, as we're figuring out who to date. We talked about the two general things that I think apply to all followers of Jesus. Now we're getting specific you should produce your own version of the famous negotiables and non-negotiables list. What is this list? Well, if you're trying to make a choice about anything that requires a lot of wisdom and forethought, which I think a person you date should, you should think through what qualities that person needs to have. It's kind of like a job application, in, like employers do this. Um, anything that you're researching, you have certain priorities that the thing you want to get has to have those qualities. So a negotiables list would be some qualities that are like nice, bonuses, but they don't have to have that um, quality. Non-negotiables are deal breakers. I'm not going to date a guy unless he has all of these qualities. So I'll list some of my non-negotiables from um, before I got married. Some of the negotiables that I can remember were like, it'd be cool if he played guitar, because I just like, you know, guitar players. It'd be cool if he, you know, looked like this or had brown hair or whatever. So negotiables are like, that'd be a bonus because I I tend to like that sort of thing, but 
not a deal breaker. Here's some things I think you should put down on your non-negotiables list. Two categories. First is what are some things that you see in the Bible that you consider vitally important to your future family, marriage, person you date? What are some things that you see in Scripture that you say, I need the person I would consider dating to have these things? The second category is what are just things you know about yourself that are important for making that list? I'll give you a few examples, uh, mostly that have to do with, with my application for this. An example of the Bible one. For me, during college, as I studied through the Bible um, and, and went through core groups and messages and all of that, I came to develop very specific convictions about finances. I, I learned how much, um, how good the way that God calls us to live financially is in the Bible. And the more I started supporting missionaries and getting disciplined about my giving and stuff like that, the more I realized I'm not going to marry somebody who's not converted away from the American dream. Like, that just wouldn't work. They already say the main thing people fight about is finances in marriage anyway. So I, I don't want to date anybody unless they're already wholeheartedly believing and practicing stuff like tithing and joyfully giving to others, being generous with finances, supporting missionaries, just in general, using money to promote Jesus' kingdom, not like the American consumerism, it's all about me sort of thing. So for me, that's one that was on my non-negotiables, is things to do with that, those financial practices. Those were important to me. A few just personality examples from the second category. Things like, I'm a very relationally deep person, so I couldn't be with somebody who wasn't also relationally deep and liked stuff like talking, for long amounts of time. I would want somebody who's perceptive um, and willing to spend a lot of quality time talking. I'm sure I listed that better years ago when I made that list, but something about just being, they have to be like uber relational like me. Another one, I knew that I was called to be a missionary, so I was only willing to date guys who were also passionate about the nations and willing to go overseas. And then it was funny in college because there was a few of us girls who were, in the sa- who were like me and we all liked the same few guys who were like also wanting to be missionaries overseas. So it's okay. It's, it's okay to be very um, uncompromising and it all worked out. We're all married to one of them um, <laughs> by the end. So it's all okay. A couple other things. I'm just a really active person and being outside is, is the place I most relate with God. So I knew that I'd need to be married to somebody who shares that value too, who wants to go on run, runs or walks with me or hikes or just be outside. Doesn't mean he has to run X number of days per week like I do or whatever, but I, could, I knew I couldn't be married to a couch potato who never wanted to go outside. You know what I'm saying? Lastly, a music major may need somebody who at least appreciates, much more understands music, because I would imagine it's like a quarter of your soul that needs somebody who can understand and, and abide with that in too. So things like that, I'm getting some snaps from the Almo guys. <laughs> things like that um, are just things that you should consider as you write your negotiables and non-negotiables list. And do this. Don't wait till you're dating or wait till you're interested in somebody to do this list. It's the best if you do it before you got all the, the rose-colored glasses making you describe the person you're interested in. Do, do the, the real unbiased version. So make that list. I would encourage you in the next week. Now for the third thing we're going to look at tonight, which is how to date. I have a 
semi-conclusive, all-inclusive formula up there. So we'll go through each of these one by one. The first step involves talking to another person. Here's, here's a couple... Okay, you guys just listen closely. Here's an example, good sentence, for asking somebody out to get to know them better. I will read this carefully. Hey, I would like to get to know you better. Would you like to go to coffee with me? Question mark. Or, this is a variation... Maybe a modified version. Hello. I think you seem like a great girl. I was wondering if you would like to go on a date with me. I would like to get to know you better. Here are the main points. Have mercy on the person by being clear with your intentions. If your intentions are, I would like them to agree to one date with me to get to know them better, then say that. Please honor their time and their friend's time and my time of the many hours it takes to spend decoding and interpreting and praying for for a gift of interpretation over a text message or what was meant beyond some vague words that were said. Save them those hours of overthinking and freaking out. And honestly, they might decide to say no because they're afraid of leading you on and they don't know where you're wanting to lead them, so they don't want to hurt you. So I'm just saying, like, for both of us guys and girls, just be clear about exactly what you're thinking. That's really the best and the least scary for all of us. Second step, if step one goes successfully, go on a date. You go on a date and you get to know them. How did you get to know them? You ask the other person good questions that help someone talk about themselves, and therefore you get to know them better. Ask your core facilitator if you need help learning how to ask good questions to another person because they probably do this for you every single day in one-on-ones. And honestly, like, we have resources. We have lists of good questions. to get. To, I have a list of 100 questions to get to know somebody. So there's stuff out there. Um, but just on this date, talk with them. Potentially sip a beverage or eat some ice cream. Decide if you want to go on another date and keep talking. Third point is about committing to dating. So if and when you and someone like this person that you went on a date with after you asked, when you get to the point where the two of you are Twitter-pated and you do start considering becoming boyfriend and girlfriend, have a conversation where you decide, we are now dating. Here's what I see in our culture today, especially on campus. And this has changed since I was in college. Like, this is just strange to me. I see that the world does a lot of non-definition of relationship and a lot of physical intimacy. There's a lot of, I still don't really know what Netflix and chill means, but there's that going on. There's just like making out, but we're not dating. There's a lot of things like that going on. Um, But God calls us to conduct ourselves in the exact opposite way, to be people who are very clear about what we are doing, what we aren't doing. Our yes is yes, and our no is no. There's no giggly-ish. And we're to be people who are called to live a holy and pure life. So please don't follow the world's way of just hanging out and holding hands and making out, spending the night, any of that worldly stuff, but no, we're not dating, isn't it great? You shouldn't do half of those things if you are dating, and you shouldn't do any of them if you're not dating them. So this just goes back to the whole thing of making commitments and being people who live by commitments. So when you're dating, tell the whole world, including yourselves, that you're dating, and don't do the vague thing. Remember the goal. 
This should be our next point. Remember the goal. What is the goal of dating? The goal, as Michael told us, is to learn to love someone of the opposite sex, not to experiment with sex. And as I have mentioned tonight, another goal is to figure out, should I marry this person that I am dating to figure out if I should marry them? Here's something to know. This is like an important news flash. The more that you get physically involved with somebody, the more you virtually cohabitate, the more you lust rather than love, the cloudier your vision will be to understand should you marry them. All of those hormone ramping and infatuation and flaming actions, they totally work against your goal of determining if you should marry them. So just remember what Michael's taught us. Um, Sex comes easy. Kissing comes easy to probably every human. You don't have to practice those things or test the waters. The waters are going to be fine if you do it the way God has designed. People have gone there before, and humans are still here, so it works. The waters are fine if you do it in a godly way. Don't pollute them by messing around and screwing around beforehand. So I would say tonight, rather than spending your dating time making out or bonding hormonally or sexually, spend your dating time figuring out if you should bond forever with this person, which is going to require a lot of talking and lots of finding ways to serve each other, finding how that person loves and serves Jesus and other people. Does that make sense? It's hard to figure out those things when you're kissing because you can't talk or go anywhere else at the same time. So wise choice, here's the wise path. Lots more going out for ice cream or coffee. Lots more serving Jesus in groups, like set up and tear down team. Lots more discussing of important key issues. Lots more learning how to honor each other in Christ. Another thing to remember about the goal of dating is... Um, Let's aim for more dates and less cohabitating in our culture today. What is a date? It is a cute little thing that has a start time and it has an end time. It's very much like a plan. You could put a date like you can put a plan on your calendar because there's a start time and an end time and even a place. You could even invite someone. Google's amazing. But a lot of people nowadays... Don't do that, start in time, hello, date's over, goodbye. They virtually cohabitate. It's like, unless I have somewhere to be on the weekend, I'll be with the person I'm dating. That's not dating. That's like cohabitating. That's like trying to be more married than married people even are. You don't get to spend that much time with each other when you're even married. That's just cohabitating. So um, the more you actually date, the better your vision can be for seeing those things. Your time together is much more intentional, and you can, you can discern the future rather than just... We're glued together because we're always together. We don't know how to not be together. So let's just continue to take this road. It's, it's not only the holy road and the set-apart road. It's also the logical road for getting to where we want to go. Should I marry this person? A couple more thoughts, kind of pro tips, is plan your dates. So as you go on dates, which have a start and an end and some activities and locations within, plan your dates. Planning things help you get to know the other person in godly ways, Um, And it also helps you avoid typical physical pitfalls when, well, if we don't have a plan, I guess we should just make out now. Um, There's this saying that people say, I guess. I didn't say that very well. Um, It says, like, make a plan or you plan to fail. And that, I've heard, is really applicable to dating. Um, Because if you make a plan, you can do that plan. You guys both know what to do. But sometimes if you don't make a plan for your date, you're kind of planning to slip back into the patterns you've been trying to get yourselves out of. 
Planning your dates is a really incredible step of love for the person you're dating. And just as a shout out, Brandon Davis is like a pro at this, because I always hear from my BFF Meredith that he has the best ideas for different fun things to do that help him get to know Meredith better. I know. Hey. Stop looking at him. You're making brush. But I'm just saying, what does that require? That requires um, intentionality. That, inqu- that requires some- someone to take time beforehand to think about the person that they were going to go on a date with and think about creative ways to make a plan. It takes some time and intentionality. It's such a gift you give the person that you're dating. So it's so loving to make a plan for how to get to know them better and what things you could do on a date that's going to bless them. So plan your dates. Another one's keep your boundaries. So at some point as you're dating, as you get more physically comfortable with each other and you are motivated to express that affection, you should talk about some physical boundaries. Boundaries are like traffic lights. They lay out the infrastructure for you so you have full freedom to drive within the proper bounds. Like when there's not snow, snowy death on the grounds. It's really easy to drive when you just know your lane and you know the stop sign, you can see it, all of that. You have a lot of freedom versus driving in somewhere like a third world country where there's much less infrastructure and much more chaos. Boundaries are like traffic lights that help us be free. Um, And that's the same thing that boundaries do in our relationships. They help us be free as we operate within the proper bounds. So discuss things together with the person you're dating that would be appropriate for your relationship to express some affection and discuss things that are inappropriate. The real key here, um, as I help students throughout many years, is to be specific. For example, something like kissing can either be relatively harmless or it can morph into essentially a sexual experience. There's like this massive gray area within what those things entail. A quick kiss is probably relatively harmless. But longer kisses that start to involve your bodies getting pressed together and hands starting to migrate around other places where you become very vertical and then very less vertical, those things, I'm just being specific because those, you have to be specific or you'll go down the slippery slope. That slippery slope, you can essentially have an inappropriate sexual experience while all your clothes are still on and you're still just kissing. But you're also totally not kissing. There just isn't a name for everything else in the gray area. All those other realms really should be off limits until you're married because they can only lead you and that person to temptation. And that is just really entrapping and, and you're trapped in lust and arousal and regret. And then one of you has to always be the person to stop it and then it gets harder and harder and then you have to spend your whole relationship talking about those conversations. And by that point, you're off track from just getting to know them and serve them and make Jesus look good to the world. So I would just say um, love each other by not triggering those arousal buttons in each other. Isn't that the most loving, caring, gracious thing you could do? So in our boundaries, remember the fruits of the Spirit and the one called self-control. And I just want to mention to you guys, um, because I didn't know this before I got married, but you don't just need to to get good at self-control so you can survive until marriage. You need self-control when you are married. Because Satan is still trying to steal, kill, and destroy what Jesus wants us to live by. And what surprised me about getting married is that sexual temptation doesn't stop once you're married. It just comes on in different ways. Tony and I are both regularly enough tempted to lust after other people or things like that. And if and when you ever sin against each other, 
in a marriage relationship in this area, it is like many times more painful. So that's just my heart for you guys is, is kill lust now when you're single. Kill it when you're dating. Get like buff in self-control because you're going to need it for your entire life, not just when you're dating somebody or when you're engaged and like, oh, one more week or whatever. You need it your whole life in marriage. Keep it, keep killing it, keep killing it dead when you're married. A way that Jesus transforms our thinking in, in relationship to boundaries is we no longer think like the world of how far can I go? How far can we go? Now we think, how can I not even tempt this person to stumble? How can I not even tempt them in their thoughts? How can I like honor them? There's a few verses that'll be up behind me um, that say things like treat each other with absolute purity, like sisters and brothers. Don't take advantage of each other. There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. There's so many verses in the Bible that God uses as, as posts to keep us in the right lane because it sucks when you have to spend a lot of your dating talking about your boundaries and how you need to not keep going off the rails. It's so satisfying when you can just fly in the direction that Jesus calls you in. So um, talk about these with your core facilitator or somebody who can help you out in this area because it's really important. As we wrap up tonight, um, I've saved the best for last, and there's a secret fourth point, which is called wise counsel. Have you noticed that throughout this message, I've said the words wise or wisdom approximately a billion times? That's because in order to have a godly relationship that keeps us in line with God's blueprint rather than the world's cheaper versions, we have to begin with wisdom. We have to be constantly guided along the way by wisdom. Here's a thing to just accept you're going to need outside wisdom in order to date and uh, marry somebody wisely. Why? Well, one reason is just none of us have all the wisdom in the world. The other reason is your brain becomes a moderately compromised thing when you start getting filled with hormones of infatuation. It's a little bit like a this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs thing, but it's like this is your brain, this is your brain when you're like starting to date this person thing. And honestly, it's really funny because everybody around you can see it happening. Like, I can see a person's brain melt over, like, a course of a couple weeks. And they're like, oh, I'm totally not this different at all. And everyone else is like, you have no idea how different you are. Um, like, I'm just trying to say that it's a normal thing. So just go into it wisely knowing I need some help. I need some people who aren't so filled up with all this excitement and feelings, which are good, who can give me some unbiased uh, eyesight. Help me stay on the right path and do this the best possible way. So a good way to figure out wise counsel is figure out who in your life is in one of these categories. One category is people who will support whatever you want to do. There are people who are going to gush over every detail you say. They're going to be so excited about whatever you say, whether it's wise or stupid or anything in between. They want you to like them. They want you to make you feel good. There's just a lot of people like that. And, and, and that's just the way that they are at that moment. And then there's other people in a different category. There are people who are going to tell, tell it like it is. They, they love you. They want you to feel good. But they want your good more than you feeling good all the time. They're going to honestly tell you what they see. They love you enough to tell you things that um, are going to be a little hard at times if it's for your good. So I know every single one of you have plenty of people in your life in both of these categories. I don't know what category your parents fall into, or your roommates, or your friends, or people in core. 
I'm guessing your core leader is in the second category because I know all of them. It doesn't matter who the person is. It just matters to know which category they're in. And you want to major on asking for input from the people in the bottom category. People in the top category are super exciting to talk to. And they're the people who should plan your bridal shower and who should give you so much like excited advice. But you should have like not just a grain, but like a cup of salt for everything that they say. Because they want, like they're, they're doing it and they want you to feel good. But you have to also realize sometimes wisdom doesn't make you feel good and you need that too. Um, they're not the people whose advice you should build a foundation on. Second category, build a foundation. First category, have them plan your bridal shower. I want to give one brief example, um, and our worship team can start coming up as we close down. Um, A few years ago, um, there are these two great people called Taylor and Cassidy, and I just want to mention as an example of seeking wise counsel. So Taylor had watched Cassidy's character for a while, and then when fall quarter came around, one of the first church services of September, Taylor came up to me at church and pulled me aside And he asked me what my opinion was of Cassidy. He asked me about her character. He asked me about the strength of her relationship with Jesus. And he asked me if I thought, as her mentor, that she was in a place where dating would be something she could consider right now. And I think he asked me this because I was her mentor, and he knows that I know Cassidy well, and I'm for her good, which means I want her to have a great life. And I also would tell him honestly if, if something was going on in her life where it wouldn't be good for her to date, honestly. So um, I was overjoyed to get to tell him after I was, like, stoked. Like, man, what a great choice. Her character is really admirable. Let me tell you of some things I see she's really grown and strong in. Her relationship with Jesus is very mature and very strong. I don't think it's distracting for her to consider dating right now. I think um, you should go about it in these ways, and he and I talked about it, and He had me talk to her and kept reminding me to because he was excited and all that. But I do believe that if I had reason to tell Taylor, you know, honestly, there's this crisis going on in her life um, and it it wouldn't be a good idea for her to get into a relationship right now because she might be codependent or um, her relationship with God is in a place where um, it would be unhealthy or distracting for her to start being approached about dating. I believe Taylor would have listened and accepted that advice and waited and kept praying and kept wisely waiting. Friends, wisdom listens, wisdom waits, wisdom does whatever is necessary to build a solid foundation possible, not just hastily laying the first foundation you can get um, with the quickest dry concrete mix available. Build a foundation that'll last a lifetime, and that takes quality input and patience. So to close, I have a few questions um, that all of us can write down so that at whatever stage you are relationally, you have a starting point for asking for input from wise counsel people in your life. You could ask someone, how should I grow to be more ready to date? How can I get more marriageable and dateable right now? Is this person that I'm considering dating or have gone on a date or two with, are they a wise person for me to date? Are my girlfriend and I dating wisely? How can we improve? What do you see? What are things we should add in or let go of? And lastly, um, pre-engagement guidance is so important for if you're considering, like you've been dating and you're wondering, should I marry this person? Um, We have a lot of great um, opportunities in Chi Alpha where you can have a wise outside couple help guide you through a lot of important questions and help you guys invest in the foundation of your relationship and give input for the future. So 
um, that is something to write down as well. And I'm going to pray to close us as we transition to worship. Father God, thank you that you are so relational and that you want us to glorify you in this world and you want us to know you better um, through, through godly marriages. And so I pray that you would just lead each of us, Lord, into um, what next steps we need to start taking to get closer to there. Please keep refining our character. Fill us with fruits of the Spirit as we abide in you. Um, help us make wise choices about um, lists about who we should consider dating someday or um, if we're at that place, if we should start considering to date someone or um, what things we need to figure out first. Would you lead us in wisdom, Jesus? Um, Holy Spirit, would you just give us lots of guidance and um, help all of us be able to step more and more into um, wisdom and into plans that are going to glorify you for the rest of our lives. So just pray that you would help us respond to you tonight in ways um, that are wise and that um, worship you really well. So pray this in your name. Amen.